It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Talking with thousands of people over the years has shown me that there is one desire we all share. We want to feel valued. Whether you're a mother in Topeka or a businesswoman in Philadelphia, each of us at our core longs to be loved, needed, understood, affirmed, to have intimate connections that leave us feeling more alive and human. I once filmed a show in which I interviewed seven men of different ages and backgrounds, all of whom had one thing in common. They cheated on their wives. It was one of the most interesting, candid conversations I've ever had, and a huge aha moment for me. I realized that the yearning to feel heard, needed, and important is so strong in all of us that we seek that validation in whatever form we can get it. For a lot of people, men and women, having an affair is an affirmation that I'm really okay. One of the men I interviewed who'd been married 18 years and thought he had a moral code that would withstand flirtatious temptation said about his mistress, there wasn't anything special about her, but she listened, was interested, and made me feel special. That is the key, I thought. We all want to feel like we matter to somebody. As a girl growing up shuffled between Mississippi, Nashville, and Milwaukee, I didn't feel loved. I thought I could make people approve of me by becoming an achiever. Then in my 20s, I based my worth on whether a man would love me. I remember once even throwing a boyfriend's keys down the toilet to keep him from walking out on me. I was no different from a physically abused woman. I wasn't getting slapped upside the head every night, but because my wings were clipped, I could not soar. I had so much going for me, but without a man, I thought I was nothing. Not until years later did I understand that the love and approval I craved could not be found outside myself. What I know for sure is that a lack of intimacy is not distance from someone else. It is disregard for yourself. It's true that we all need the kind of relationships that enrich and sustain us, but it's also true that if you're looking for someone to heal and complete you, to shush that voice inside you that has always whispered, you're not worth anything. You're wasting your time. Why? Because if you don't already know 
that you have worth. There's nothing your friends, your family, your mate can say that will completely convince you of that. The Creator has given you full responsibility for your life. And with that responsibility comes an amazing privilege, the power to give yourself the love, affection, and intimacy you may not have received as a child. You are the one best mother, father, sister, friend, cousin, and lover you will ever have. Right now, you are one choice away from seeing yourself as someone whose life has inherent significance. So choose to see it that way. You don't have to spend one more second focusing on a past deprived of the affirmation you should have gotten from your parents. Yes, you did deserve that love, but it's up to you now to bestow it upon yourself and move forward. Stop waiting for your husband to say, I appreciate you, your kids to tell you what a great mother you are, a man to whisk you away and marry you, or your best friend to assure you that you're worth a darn. Look inward. The loving begins with you. The key to any relationship is communication, and I've always thought that communication is like a dance. One person takes a step forward, the other takes a step back. Even a single misstep can land both people on the floor in a tangle of confusion. And when you find yourself in that position, with your spouse, your colleague, your friend, your child, i found that the best option is always to ask the other person, what do you really want here? At first, you might notice a little squirming, a lot of throat clearing, <clears throat> maybe some silence. But if you stay quiet long enough, to get the real answer, I guarantee it will be some variation of the following. I want to know that you value me. Extend a hand of connection and understanding and offer three of the most important words any of us can ever receive. I hear you. I know for sure your relationship will be the better for it. I've never been a social person. Now, I know this may come as a surprise to most people, but ask anybody who knows me well, and they will confirm it is true. I've always kept my downtime for myself, plus a wee circle of friends whom I consider my extended family. I'd been living in Chicago for years before I suddenly realized I could count on one hand and still have some fingers remaining the number of times I'd visited friends or met someone for dinner or gone out just for fun. I'd lived in apartments since leaving my dad's house, apartments where I often didn't take the time to know the person across the hallway, let alone anybody else on my floor. We were all too busy, I told myself. But in 2004, shortly after that realization, I moved to a house, not an apartment, a house in California, and a whole new world opened up to me. After years spent in the public eye, conversing with some of the world's most fascinating people, I finally became social. For the first time in my adult life, I felt like I was part of a community. Just after I arrived, as I was pushing my cart down the cereal aisle at Vaughn's, a woman I didn't even know stopped me and said, Welcome to the neighborhood. We all love it here, and I hope you will too. She said it with such sincerity that I just wanted to weep. In that moment, I made a conscious decision not to close the gate to my life as I had for so many years, living in the city, shutting myself off to even the possibility of a new circle of friends. 
I now live in a neighborhood where everybody knows me and I know them. First, Joe and Judy invited me next door for Joe's homemade pizza and said it would be ready in an hour. I hesitated. Only a moment. I put on my flip-flops, headed over in sweatpants and zero makeup, and ended up staying the afternoon. Chatting it up at a stranger's house, finding common ground, was brand new territory for me, bordering on adventurous. Since then, I've had tea with the Abercrombies, who live three doors down, been to a backyard barbecue with Bob and Marlene's, a pool party at Barry and Jalinda's, had watermelon martinis at Julie's, took in a rose garden gathering at Sally's, I attended a formal sit-down at Annette and Harold's with more silverware than I could manage, and a rib-cooking contest, which I deserved to win but didn't, at Margot's. I watched the sunset and ate black-eyed peas at the Nicholson's and attended an all-out feast under the stars with 50 neighbors at the Reitman's. I knew all but two of them by name, so yes, I've become very social. And because of that, my life has a new unexpected layer. I thought I was through making friends, but much to my surprise, I found myself looking forward to hanging out, laughing, connecting with, and embracing others as a part of the circle. It's added new meaning to my life, a feeling of community I didn't even know I was missing. What I now know for sure is that Everything happens for a reason. And the stranger who approached me in the grocery store with such feeling triggered something. The possibility that I could make this new neighborhood a real home and not just a place to live. I've always known that life is better when you share it. But I now realize it gets even sweeter when you expand the circle. Let's face it. Love is a subject that's been done and overdone, trivialized and dramatized, to the point of mass delusion about what it is and isn't. Most of us can't see it because we have our own preconceived ideas about what it is. It's supposed to knock you off your feet and make you swoon, and how it should appear in a tall, slim, witty, charming package. So if love doesn't show up wrapped in our personal fantasy, we fail to recognize it. But this is what I know for sure. Love is all around. It's possible to love and be loved no matter where you are. Love exists in all forms. Sometimes I walk into my front yard and I can feel all my trees just vibrating love. It is always available for the asking. I've seen so many women, myself included, dazed by the idea of romance, believing they're not complete unless they find someone to make their lives whole. When you think about it, isn't that just a crazy notion? You alone make a whole person. And if you feel incomplete, you alone must fill all your empty, shattered spaces with love. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. I'll never forget the time I was cleaning out a drawer and came across 12 pages that stopped me in my tracks. It was a love letter. I'd written but never sent, thank God, to a guy I was dating at the time. I was 29, desperate and obsessed with this man. It was 12 pages of whining and pining so pathetic that I didn't recognize myself. And though I've kept my journal since age 15, I held my own burning ceremony for this testament to what I thought was love. I wanted no written record that I was ever that pitiful and disconnected from myself. I have seen so many women 
give themselves up for men who clearly didn't give two hoots about them. I've seen so many women settle for the crumbs, but now I know that a relationship built on real love feels good. It should bring you joy, not just some of the time, but most of the time. It should never require losing your voice, your self-respect, or your dignity. And whether you're 25 or 65, it should involve bringing all of who you are to the table and walking away with even more. Romantic love is not the only love worth seeking. I have met so many people longing to be in love with somebody, to be rescued from their daily lives and swept into romantic bliss when all around there are children, neighbors, friends, strangers, also yearning for someone to connect with. Look around and notice. Possibility is everywhere. On the other hand, if you find it a strain to open your heart full throttle to the big L word, start in first gear, show compassion, and before long, you'll feel yourself shifting to something deeper. Soon, you'll be able to offer others the blessings of understanding, empathy, caring, and, I know for sure, love. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas' 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. In times of crisis, I've always marveled at the way people reach out with words of encouragement. I've had moments of real devastation in my life. We all have. But I've been sustained by the grace and love of friends who've asked, Is there anything I can do to help? Not knowing that they already have just by asking. People I've known well and others I've never met have, in tough moments, built me a bridge of support. I'll never forget when, after a particularly difficult setback a few years ago, my friend B.B. Winans stopped by unexpectedly. There's something I came to tell you, he said, and he just started singing what he knows is my favorite spiritual. I surrender all. I surrender all. 
All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I sat silently, closed my eyes, and opened myself to this gift of love and song. When he finished, I felt a release of all pressure. I was content to just be, and for the first time in weeks, I experienced pure peace. When I opened my eyes and wiped away the tears, Bibi was beaming. He started laughing his ha-ha-ha <laughs> laugh and gave me a big hug. Girl, he said, I just came to remind you, you don't have to carry this load all by yourself. To know that people care about how you're doing when the doing isn't so good, that's what love is. I feel blessed to know this for sure. I thought I knew a lot about friendship until I spent 11 days traveling across the country in a Chevy Impala with Gail King. We've been close since we were in our early 20s. We've helped each other through tough times, vacationed together, worked on my magazine together. And still, there was more to learn. On Memorial Day 2006, we set out to see the USA in a Chevrolet. Remember that commercial from years ago? Well, I always thought it was a charming idea. When we pulled out of my driveway in California, we were singing the jingle loudly with vibrato, cracking ourselves up. Three days in, around Holbrook, Arizona, we were mumbling the tune. And by Lamar, Colorado, five days in, we'd stop singing altogether. The trip was grueling for me every day, six, then eight, then ten hours with nothing but road stretched ahead. When Gail drove, she insisted on constant music. I wanted silence. To be alone with my thoughts became a running joke. As she sang along boisterously, I realized there wasn't a tune she didn't know. She called almost everyone her favorite. This was as nerve-wracking for me as the silence was for her when I was behind the wheel. I learned patience. And when patience wore thin, I bought earplugs. Every night, landing in a different hotel, we were exhausted but still able to laugh at ourselves. We laughed at my merging anxiety, interstate anxiety, and passing another vehicle anxiety. Oh, and crossing a bridge anxiety. Of course, Gail will tell you I'm not such a great driver. She herself is a masterly driver, taking the curves on the Pennsylvania Turnpike with ease and steadily leading us into New York. Only one glitch. By the time we reached Pennsylvania, her contacts had been in too long and her eyes were tired. We approached the George Washington Bridge, relieved to end the long run of Cheetos and pork rinds from gas stations. Dusk had fallen and night was approaching fast. Gail said, I hate to tell you this, but I can't see. What do you mean you can't see, I tried to ask calmly. All the headlights have halos. Do they have halos to you, she said. Uh, no, they do not. Can you see the lines on the road? I was shouting by now, envisioning the headline, Friends Finished Journey in a Crash on GW Bridge. There was nowhere to pull over, and cars were speeding by. I know this bridge very well, she said. That's what's saving us. And I have a plan. When we get to the toll, I'm going to pull over and take out my contacts and get my glasses. 
Well, that toll was a long way ahead. What can I do, I said, near panic. Do you need me to steer for you? No, I'm going to hug the white lines, she said. Can you take out my contacts and put on my glasses, she joked. At least I think she was joking. That would be dangerous and impossible, I said. Then turn up the air. I'm sweating, she said. We both sweated our way to the toll booth and safely pulled into New York. The crew following us had T-shirts made. I survived the road trip. What I know for sure is that if you can survive 11 days in cramped quarters with a friend and come out laughing, your friendship is real. The story of how my beloved dog Sadie, Sadie, came into my life is one for the ages. At a humane shelter in Chicago, she hugged my shoulder, licked my ear, and whispered, Please take me with you. I could feel her making a bid for a new life with me. I felt an instant connection with her, but just to be sure I wasn't caught up in a moment of overwhelming puppy love, Gail said, why don't you wait and see how you feel tomorrow morning? So I decided to wait 24 hours. The next day, Chicago had a whiteout blizzard. Not a good day to bring a puppy home, I thought, especially if you live in a high-rise. It's hard to house train from the 77th floor, even when the sun is shining. Puppies need to go outside a lot when they're first learning when and when not to go. Nevertheless, Stedman and I donned our winter gear and used our four-wheel drive to get across town. Just to have another look, I swore. Miss Sadie, the runt of the litter, spoke to my heart. I love making the underdog a winner. An hour later, we were at Petco, buying a crate and wee-wee pads, collar and leash, puppy food and toys. The crate started out next to the bed, and still she cried. We then moved the crate up onto the bed, right in the center, so she had a full view of me. I wanted to do anything I could to help her avoid separation anxiety on her first night away from the litter, and yet there was more whimpering and whining. Then full-blown yelping. So I took her out of the crate and let her sleep on my pillow. I know that is no way to train a dog, but I did it anyway, to the point where Sadie thought I was her litter mate. By the time I woke up in the morning, she had nuzzled her way into my shoulder, which was her most comfortable sleeping position. Five days after bringing her home, I lost track of good sense and let myself get talked into adopting her brother, Ivan. For 24 hours, life was grand. Ivan was Sadie's playmate, and I didn't have to be. It was nice to get some relief from games of fetch and rubber squeezy bunnies. Ivan had one full day of romping in the sun with Sadie and my two golden retrievers, Luke and Layla. Then he refused dinner. And then the diarrhea started, followed by vomiting and more diarrhea. That was on Saturday. By Monday night, we knew he had the dreaded parvo virus. I'd been through parvo 13 years before with my brown cocker Solomon. It nearly killed him. He stayed in the veterinary hospital for 20 days. He was more than a year old when he got it. Ivan was only 11 weeks. His young immune system was not strong enough to overcome it. Four days after we took Ivan to the emergency clinic, he died. That morning, Sadie refused to eat. Even though she had tested negative before, I knew she had parvo too. 
So began the ordeal of trying to save Sadie. Plasma transfusions, antibiotics, probiotics, and daily visits. I wish for every citizen of this country the kind of health care and treatment this little dog received. The first four days, she got increasingly worse. At one point, I told the vet, I'm prepared to let her go. She shouldn't have to fight this hard. But fight, she did. By the next day, her white blood cell count started to improve, and two days later, she was happily eating bits of chicken. Shortly afterward, Sadie came home, skinny and frail, but ready to start life anew. She eventually recovered fully. During the time she and Ivan spent in the hospital, I was worried and restless and got little sleep, the same as it would have been for any family member, which is what I know for sure pets represent in our lives, a connection to caring that is unconditional and reciprocal. Puppy love. Nothing like it. When you make loving others the story of your life, there's never a final chapter because the legacy continues. You lend your light to one person, and he or she shines it on another, and another, and another. And I know for sure that in the final analysis of our lives, when the to-do lists are no more, when the frenzy is finished, when our email inboxes are empty, the only thing that will have any lasting value is whether we've loved others and whether they've loved us. For years, I've been advocating the power and pleasure of being grateful. I kept a gratitude journal for a full decade without fail and urged everyone I knew to do the same. Then life got busy. My schedule overwhelmed me. I still open my journal some nights, but my ritual of writing down five things I was grateful for every day started slipping away. Here's what I was grateful for on October 12, 1996. A run around Florida's Fisher Island with a slight breeze that kept me cool. Eating cold melon on a bench in the sun. A long and hilarious chat with Gail about her blind date with Mr. Potato Head. Sorbet in a cone, so sweet, I licked my fingers. Maya Angelou calling to read me a new poem. A few years ago, when I came across that journal entry, I wondered why I no longer felt the joy of simple moments. Since 1996, I had accumulated more wealth, more responsibility, more possessions, Everything, it seemed, had grown exponentially, except my happiness. How had I, with all my options and opportunities, become one of those people who never have time to feel delight? I was stretched in so many directions. I wasn't feeling much of anything too busy doing. But the truth is, I was busy in 1996, too. I just made gratitude a daily priority. I went through the day looking for things to be grateful for, and something always showed up. Sometimes we get so focused on the difficulty of our climb that we lose sight of being grateful for simply having a mountain to climb. My life is still crazy busy. Today, though, I'm continuously grateful for having the stamina to keep going, and I'm back to journaling electronically this time around. Whenever there's a grateful moment, I note it. I know for sure that appreciating whatever shows up for you in life changes your whole world. You radiate and generate more goodness for yourself when you are aware of all you have 
and not focusing on your have-nots. I know for sure, if you make time for a little gratitude every day, you will be amazed by the results. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Say thank you. Many years ago, those words from Maya Angelou turned my life around. I was on the phone with her, sitting in my bathroom with the door closed and toilet lid down, weeping so uncontrollably that I was incoherent. Stop it, Maya chided. Stop it right now and say thank you. But you, you don't understand, I sobbed. To this day, I can't remember what it was that had me so far gone, which only proves the point that Maya was trying to make. I do understand, she told me. I want to hear you say it now, out loud. Thank you. Tentatively, I repeated it. Thank you. And then snuffled some more. But what am I saying thank you for? You're saying thank you, Maya said, because your faith is so strong that you don't doubt that whatever the problem, you will get through it. You're saying thank you because you know that even in the eye of the storm, God has put a rainbow in the clouds. You're saying thank you because you know there's no problem created that can compare to the creator of all things. Say thank you. So I did and still do. Being grateful all the time isn't easy, but it's when you feel least thankful that you are most in need of what gratitude can give you. Perspective. Gratitude can transform any situation. It alters your vibration, moving you from negative energy to positive. It is the quickest, easiest, most powerful way to affect change in your life. This I know for sure. Here's the gift of gratitude. In order to feel it, your ego has to take a back seat. What shows up in its place is greater compassion and understanding. Instead of being frustrated, you choose appreciation. And the more grateful you become, the more you have to be grateful for. Maya Angelou was so right. Whatever you're going through, you will do just that. Go through it. It will pass. So say thank you now because you know 
the rainbow is coming. The amount of time and energy I've spent thinking about what my next meal will be is incalculable. What to eat, what I just ate, how many calories or grams of fat it contains, how much exercise I need to do to burn it off, what if I don't work out, how long will it take to manifest as extra pounds, and on and on and on and on. Food has been on my mind a lot over the years. I still have the check I wrote to my first diet doctor, Baltimore, 1977. I was 23 years old, 148 pounds, a size 8, and I thought I was fat. The doctor put me on a 1,200-calorie regimen, and in less than two weeks, I'd lost 10 pounds. Two months later, I'd regained 12. Thus began the cycle of discontent, the struggle with my body, with myself. I joined the dieting brigade, signing on for the Beverly Hills, Atkins, Scarsdale, Cabbage Soup, and even the banana hot dog and egg diets. You think I'm kidding. I wish. What I didn't know is that with each diet, I was starving my muscles, slowing my metabolism, setting myself up to gain even more weight. Around 1995, after almost two decades of yo-yoing, I finally realized that being grateful for my body, whatever shape it was in, was the key to giving more love to myself. But although I made that connection intellectually, living it was a different story. It wasn't until about six years later, after six months of unexplained heart palpitations, that I finally got it. December 19, 2001, I wrote in my journal, One thing is for sure, having palpitations at night makes me more aware of being happy to awaken in the morning, more grateful for each day. I stopped taking my heart for granted and began thanking it for every beat it had ever given me. I marveled at the wonder of it. In 47 years, I'd never consciously given a thought to what my heart does, feeding oxygen to my lungs, liver, pancreas, my brain, one beat at a time. For so many years, I had let my heart down by not giving it the support it needed. Overeating, overstressing, overdoing. No wonder when I lay down at night, it couldn't stop racing. I believe everything that happens in our lives has meaning, that each experience brings a message, if we're willing to hear it. So what was my speeding heart trying to tell me? I still don't know the answer, yet simply asking the question caused me to look at my body and how I had failed to honor it, how every diet I'd ever been on was because I wanted to fit into something or just fit in. Taking care of my heart, the life force of my body, had never been my priority. I sat up in bed one crisp, sunny morning and made a vow to love my heart, to treat it with respect, to feed and nurture it, to work it out and then let it rest. And then one night when I was getting out of the tub, I glanced in the full-length mirror. For the first time, I didn't launch into my self-criticism. I actually felt a warming sense of gratitude for what I saw. My hair braided, not a stitch of makeup on, face clean, eyes bright, alive, shoulders and neck strong and firm. I was thankful for the body I lived in. I did a head-to-toe assessment, and though there was plenty of room for improvement, I no longer hated any part of myself, even the cellulite. I thought, this is the body you've been given. Love what you've got. So I started truly loving the face I was born with. The lines I had under my eyes at age two have gotten deeper, but they're my lines. 
the broad nose I tried to lift when I was eight by sleeping with a clothespin and two cotton balls on the sides is the nose I've grown into. The full lips I used to pull in when smiling are the lips I've used to speak to millions of people every day. My lips need to be full. In that moment, as I stood before the mirror, I had my own spiritual transformation, a root revival of love, which Carolyn M. Rogers writes of in one of my favorite poems, Some Me of Beauty. What I know for sure, there is no need to struggle with your body when you can make a loving and grateful peace with it. I live in the space of thankfulness, and for that, I've been rewarded a million times over. I started out giving thanks for small things, and the more thankful I became, the more my bounty increased. That's because, for sure, what you focus on expands. When you focus on the goodness in your life, you create more of it. We've all heard that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I know for sure that it's also a lot more fun. Nothing makes me happier than a gift well given and joyfully received. I can honestly say every gift I've ever given has brought at least as much happiness to me as it has to the person I've given it to. I give as I feel. Throughout the year, that may mean mailing a handwritten note to someone who didn't expect it, or sending a great new lotion I just discovered, or delivering a book of poetry with a pretty bow. It doesn't matter what the thing is. What matters is how much of yourself goes into the giving, so that when the gift is gone, the spirit of you lingers. My friend Jean Viev once left a white bowl of bright yellow lemons with their stems and leaves freshly picked from her backyard and tied with a big green ribbon on my front doorstep with a note that said, Good morning. The whole presentation was so beautiful in its simplicity that long after the lemon shriveled, I felt the spirit of the gift every time I passed the place where the bowl had been set. I now keep a bowl filled with lemons just to remind me of that. Good morning. You may have heard about the time I gave away a bunch of cars on my show, Pontiac G6s. It was the most fun I'd ever had on TV. But before that great giveaway, I sat meditating in my darkened closet in my office, trying to stay in the moment and not get anxious about the big surprise that was to come. It was important to me to fill the audience with people who really needed new cars so that all the excitement would have meaning. I wanted the gift to be about the essence of sharing what you have. I prayed for that, sitting in the dark, amongst my shoes and handbags. Then I walked downstairs to the studio, and my prayers were answered. I am a country girl at heart, having grown up in rural Mississippi where if you didn't grow it or raise it, as in hogs and chickens, you didn't eat it. Helping my grandmother pull turnip greens from the garden, then sitting on the porch snapping beans and shelling peas was a routine I took for granted. Today, my favorite day of the week in spring, summer, and fall is what I call Harvest Day. We go out to the garden to gather artichokes, spinach, squash, green beans, corn, tomatoes, and lettuce, along with basketfuls of fresh herbs, onions, and garlic. The bounty of it gives my heart a thrill. I'm in awe every time. By planting so little, little seeds, you can reap so much? In fact, my problem is volume. I can't eat it all, but I don't want to throw anything away that I've watched grow. 
Discarding food you've grown from seed feels like throwing away a gift. I readily share with my neighbors, and still, there's always more growing, growing. All good food comes from the earth, and whether you get that food from a farmer's market, your local grocer, or your own backyard, this I know for sure. The pure joy of eating well is worth savoring. I once sliced a fresh peach that was so sweet, so succulent, so divinely peachy, that even as I was eating it, I thought, there are no words to adequately describe this peach. One has to taste it to understand the true definition of peachiness. I closed my eyes, the better to enjoy the flavor. But even that wasn't enough. So I saved the last two bites to share with Stedman to see if he affirmed my assessment of best peach ever. He took the first bite and said, Mmm, mmm, this peach reminds me of childhood. And so that small thing got bigger, as all things do when shared in a spirit of appreciation. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. I still remember the first time I stepped outside my box of giving only to family and friends and did something significant for someone I didn't know. I was a reporter in Baltimore, and it covered a story about a young mother and her children who'd fallen on hard times. I'll never forget going back to their home and taking the whole family to a mall to buy winter coats. They so appreciated the gesture. And I learned how good it feels to do something unexpected for someone in need. Since that time in the late 1970s, I've been blessed with the ability to give truly great gifts, everything from cashmere sheets to college educations. I've given homes, cars, trips around the world, the services of a wonderful nanny. But the best gift anyone can give, I believe, is the gift of themselves. At my 50th birthday luncheon, every woman in attendance wrote a note sharing what our friendship meant to her. All the notes were placed in a silver box. That box still has a treasured space on my nightstand. On days when I'm feeling less than joyful, I'll pull out a note and let it lift me back up. About a year later, I hosted a weekend of festivities to honor 18 magnificent bridge-building, boundary-breaking women and a few dozen of the younger women whose way they had paved. I called that weekend the Legends Ball, and after it was over, I received thank you letters from all the youngins in attendance. The letters were calligraphied and bound together in a book. They are among my most valued possessions, and they inspired me recently when a friend was going through a rough time. I called all of her friends and asked them to write her love notes, which I then had bound into a book. I gave to someone else in the same way that someone had given to me. And I know for sure that's what we're here to do. Keep the giving going. 
The table next to me was making a lot of noise, celebrating a special occasion. Five waiters singing, Happy Birthday, Dear Marilyn. Our side of the room applauded as Marilyn blew out the single candle on the chocolate cupcake she'd been presented with. Someone asked if I'd take a picture with the group. Sure, I said, and casually asked, How old is Marilyn? To no one in particular, since I didn't know who Marilyn was. The whole table laughed nervously. One person said in mock outrage, I can't believe you're asking that, Oprah. Marilyn ducked her head modestly and told me, I dare not say. I was at first amused, then taken aback. You want a picture honoring your birthday, but you don't want to say how old you are? Well, she said, I don't want to say it out loud. I've just been a wreck for weeks knowing this day was coming. It just makes me sick to think about it. It makes you sick to think that you've marked another year, that every worry, every strife, every challenge, every delight, every breath, every day was leading to this moment, and now you made it and you're celebrating it with one little candle and denying it at the same time? I'm not denying it, she said. I just don't want to be 43. I gasped in mock horror. You're 43? Oh, my. I see why you wouldn't want anybody to know that. Everybody laughed, that nervous little laugh again. We took the picture. But I didn't stop thinking about Marilyn and her friends. I also thought about Don Miguel Ruiz, author of one of my favorite books, The Four Agreements. According to Don Miguel, 95% of the beliefs we have stored in our minds are nothing but lies, and we suffer because we believe all these lies. One of these lies that we believe and practice and reinforce is that getting older means getting uglier. We then judge ourselves and others trying to hold on to the way we were. This is why, over the years, I've made it a point to ask women how they feel about aging. I've asked everybody from Bo Derek to Barbara Streisand. Ali McGraw told me, the message women my age send to terrified 30- and 40-year-old women is that it's almost over. What a jip. Beverly Johnson said, Why am I trying to keep this teenage body when I'm not a teenager and everybody knows it? That was an epiphany for me, she said. And Sybil Shepard's honesty offered terrific insight. I had a great fear as I grew older that I would not be valued anymore, she said. If you're blessed enough to grow older, which is how I look at aging, I think often of all the angels of 9-11 who will not get there. There's so much wisdom to be gained from people who are celebrating the process with vibrancy and vigor and grace. I've had wonderful mentors in this regard. Maya Angelou, doing speaking tours in her mid-80s. Quincy Jones, always off in some far-flung part of the world creating new projects. Sidney Poitier, epitomizing who and what I want to be if I'm fortunate to live so long. Reading everything he can get his hands on, even writing his first novel, at age 85, continuously expanding his fields of knowledge. For sure, we live in a youth-obsessed culture that is constantly trying to tell us that if we're not young and glowing and hot, we don't matter. But I refuse to buy into such a distorted view of reality, and I would never lie about or deny my age. To do so is to contribute to a sickness pervading our society, the sickness of wanting to be what you're not. I know for sure that only by owning who and what you are can you step into the fullness of life. 
I feel sorry for anyone who buys into the myth that you can be what you once were. The way to your best life is not denial. It's owning every moment and staking a claim to the here and now. You are not the same woman you were a decade ago. If you're lucky, you're not the same woman you were last year. The whole point of aging, as I see it, is change. If we let them, our experiences can keep teaching us about ourselves. I celebrate that. Honor it. Hold it in reverence. And I am grateful for every age I'm blessed to become. I never foresaw doing the Oprah show for 25 years. 12 years in, I was already thinking about bringing it to a close. I didn't want to be the girl who stayed too long at the party. I dreaded the thought of overstaying my welcome. Then I did the movie Beloved, portraying a former slave who experiences newfound freedom. That role changed the way I looked at my work. How dare I, who had been given opportunities unimagined by my ancestors, even think of being tired enough to quit? So I renewed my contract for another four years, then another two. At the 20-year mark, I was almost certain that the time was finally right to call it a day. That's when I received an email from Maddie Stepanek. Maddie was a 12-year-old boy with a rare form of muscular dystrophy who had appeared on my show to read his poetry and became an instant dear friend. We exchanged emails often and talked on the phone when we could. He made me laugh and sometimes cry. But most often he made me feel more human and present and able to appreciate even the smallest things. Maddie suffered so much in his young life, going into and out of the hospital, yet hardly ever complained. When he spoke, I listened. And in May 2003, as I was in the throes of deciding whether to bring the show to an end, he was a singular force in changing my mind. Here's the letter he wrote me. Dear Oprah, hello. It's me, Maddie, your guy. I'm praying and hoping to go home around Memorial Day. It's not a guarantee, so I'm not telling a lot of people. It seems that every time I try to go home, something else goes wrong. The doctors are not able to fix me, but they agree with me going home. And don't worry, I'm not going home to die or anything like that. I'm going home because they can't do anything else here. And if I heal... It's because I'm meant to heal. And if I don't, then my message is out there and it's time for me to go to heaven. I personally am hoping that my message still needs me to be the messenger a while longer. But that's really in God's hands. But anyway, I'm only needing blood transfusions about once a week now. So that is better. And it sounds weird, but I think it's really cool that I have blood and platelets from so many people makes me related to the world in some way, which is a proud thing to be. I know that you're planning to retire your show on its 20th anniversary. It is my opinion that you should wait to stop your daytime show on its 25th anniversary. Let me explain why. 25 makes more sense to me, partially because I'm a bit OCD, and 25 is a perfect number. It's a perfect square and symbolizes a quarter of something, not just a fifth like the number 20. Also, when I think of the number 25, especially for retiring or completion, for some reason, my mind is filled with bright colors 
and the rejuvenation of life. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. You've already made history in so many ways, wonderful and beautiful ways. Why not make history bigger by having a show with great dignity that touched and inspired so many people for a quarter of a century? I'll let you think on it. And of course, it's only my opinion. But I sometimes get feelings about things. And I have one about this. I think it's good for the world and good for you. I love you and you love me. Maddie. As anyone who knows me knows, I sometimes get feelings about things, too. And my gut told me to pay attention to this angel boy who I believe was a messenger for our time. Somehow, it was clear to him back in 2003 that I was neither emotionally nor spiritually prepared to bring that phase of my career to a close. When I finally was ready for the next chapter, I moved forward with no regrets, only grace and gratitude. And wherever heaven is, I know for sure Maddie is there. Every morning, when I open my curtains for that first look at the day, no matter what the day looks like, raining, foggy, overcast, sunny, my heart swells with gratitude. I get another chance. In the best of times and worst of times, I know for sure this life is a gift. And I believe that no matter where we live or how we look or what we do for a living, when it comes to what really matters, what makes us laugh and cry and grieve and yearn, delight and rejoice, we share the same heart space. We just fill it with different things. Here are 15 of my favorites. Planting vegetables in my garden. Making blueberry lemon pancakes on Sunday morning for Stedman. Never fails to delight him. Like he's seven years old every time an off-leash rump on the front lawn with all my dogs. A rainy day, a chill in the air, a blazing fire in the fireplace, picking vegetables from my garden, a great book, reading in my favorite place on earth under my oak trees, cooking vegetables from my garden, sleeping till my body wants to wake up, waking up to the real Twitter, birds, a workout so strong my whole body breathes eating vegetables from my garden, being still, embracing silence, the daily spiritual practice of gratitude. Every day, I bless my life by counting my blessings. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University... Your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. 
Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life. At capella.edu.